Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada, and welcome to Truth and Life Today. Today we're going to be talking to Dr. John Newfeld about the issue of heaven. But before we do that, I just want to let you know where you can see this broadcast every week. You can go to our podcast on iTunes, Truth and Life Today, go to our YouTube channel, or just go to backtothebible.ca where you can see it online and submit your questions. Uh, so today, though, let's go back to Dr. John Newfeld in the issue of heaven. Welcome, Dr. John. Thank you. It's great to do this together with you, Ben. You know, we've had some incredible questions come. In fact, many, many more questions than we can obviously resolve today. So we thought we'd deal with some specific themes. And so today's theme is heaven. So let's get right into it. Uh, you know, in your heaven series, which you've done, uh, you speak of an intermediary stage. Uh, can you help us understand what that stage is and, and where would we find reference to it in Scripture? Yeah, let me start with a scriptural reference and then go to what is it, you know, what is that actual intermediary stage? But, you know, the scripture doesn't use the words intermediate stage. I mean, that gets used by Bible teachers after the fact. Mm -hmm. We examine the biblical text, we see what it actually says, and then we say, how do we piece this together? So there are some, at least from the outset, would seem to be contradictory text. So, for instance, I've got before me here 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, and verse 15, and it says, For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and command, and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so we have you know, an agenda at the coming of Christ, when he returns, the dead in Christ rise, and then we are caught up with him in the air. So, you know, you have that sequence, and that would lead someone to say, oh, well, then if someone dies today, at least as some teach it, there's soul sleep, and then soul sleep means that, you know, we are dead and not conscious, waiting for the second coming of Christ. And so people who argue for soul sleep actually argue from texts like that. It's a very similar text to that in 1 Corinthians 15, which also speaks about the, the trumpet call of God, and at that point in time, the dead in Christ rise. So on the one hand, those are the scripture texts that we have. Now, there's another hand, right? So we have uh, passages, for instance, in Philippians, where the very famous passage where Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then he says, you know, uh, to die, he says, and to be with Christ is better by far. So Paul says, at my death, I will be with Christ immediately. And he says, it's better by far. So we have two texts. One that tells us, you know, when we die, we're going to be with Christ immediately. And another that says, we wait until the last trumpet when Christ himself returns, and then the dead in Christ rise. So how do we put that together? That's what we do after the fact. So we have that, that case of Bible passages. Now we're left to scramble about and say, what does it actually mean? So here's what I think it actually means. Okay. The texts that speak about rising when Christ returns, every one of them, without exception, speaks of the bodily resurrection of the dead. So there is something that's unique that happened to the dead. We will rise bodily. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the life to come, we'll talk about heaven more. It's physical, comes with sights and sounds and smells and all that kind of stuff. We will rise bodily. But, Paul says, at the moment a believer dies, and he says that also in 2 Corinthians 5, that, you know, that when we die, that we are with Christ instantly. 
And so how is that existence? How are we with Christ and yet are waiting for our bodily resurrection? That's why we use the term intermediate stage. So there seems to be two stages in our resurrection process. Then people always ask, well, so, you know, if believers are immediately in the presence of Christ and are waiting for the resurrection of their bodies, what's that state like? You know, and the answer is, well, we don't know. <laughs> Outside of Paul says in Philippians, it's better by far. Yeah. So comparing it to our present existence, being in the presence of Christ spiritually in some sense is better, but it's not yet the final thing that we wait for. Yeah. 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 So, you know, there's an interesting thing in all of this, and I think that interesting thing is that we who are on earth and the saints who are now in heaven both await with anticipation the second coming of Christ because we both await our resurrected bodies. That's fantastic. Yeah. Great. Thanks, John. Uh, you know, there was a question that came in regarding Jesus, and it's an interesting question. I'm not sure how much we can answer of it or not, but what happened in essence with Jesus between his death and resurrection? <laughs> yes. We're all, you know, so we're now dealing with, just as the other question, we're dealing with sparse biblical reference points. Okay. You know, often people will come to 1 Peter, and I'm going to turn to that, because in 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 5, I believe it is, uh, we have an interesting passage. I'm sorry, it's 1 Peter 3, verse 18, and it's often cited. So let me read it and then talk about how difficult this is. But here's what it says. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, uh, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, and then mm. so forth. And so some people take from this, and so there are a number of theories from this passage. Some say that Jesus went to hell, and that in hell he went and preached to individuals who were unredeemed. And he preached the gospel to them and gave them a second chance. Now, if that's the case, it's surely this passage doesn't say it. And then secondly, it's also contradicted in a number of sections in Scripture. Luke 16, you know, the parable that Jesus tells about uh, Lazarus dying and the rich man as well, and he's immediately found in hell. And then Hebrews also says it is appointed unto a man once to die, and then after that, the judgment. So clearly... Uh, the Bible teaches that there is no second chance afterwards. So I think we can discount that. Mm -hmm. But here's what some people believe. They believe that Jesus, in between his death and his resurrection, went to hell and preached to the demons. Because the word preached here, I mean, there's two Greek words for preach it. And one is the word euangelizomai, which means to proclaim the gospel, the good news. But that's not the word that's being used here. The word here is simply kirudzo, which means to proclaim. So some people will argue that when Jesus died on the cross, he went to hell and he proclaimed his final victory to the spirits in prison, that is, to demons, and uh, proclaimed his victory and mastery over them and then rose from the dead. So there are, for some believers, using this text, the belief that has continued to be there that Christ somehow went into hell after he died on the cross. Now, mm -hmm. Ben, I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't believe that Jesus went to hell at all. And here's why. The text doesn't say that. See, what the text says, that it says he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 
And we can also translate this made alive by the Spirit. So the passage may be saying no more than Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he rose from the dead. And then it says, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So it doesn't say in between his death and resurrection, he proclaimed to the spirits in prison. It says when he was resurrected, then he proclaimed his victory. So I've got to believe somehow in the ascension of Christ, a proclamation was made as he ascended in glory and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The proclamation is to all the disobedient that Christ has won the battle and he is King of kings and Lord of lords, and they were disobedient to him for no cause. He is the victorious one. So having said all of that, (laughs) I've skirted around the issue of the question that person's been asking. What actually happened between Christ's death and his resurrection? And the answer is the Bible actually doesn't say, but we know a couple of things. We know what death is. Death is simply the tearing apart the soul from the body. So we've got to believe that immediately upon death, Christ went to heaven. And then, but some people will say, yes, but what did he mean when Mary Magdalene met him? And he said, don't touch me yet. I've not yet ascended to my father. And I think the answer is bodily resurrection, the very thing that we talked about before. You know, Christ was raised bodily. And then after being raised bodily three days later, he ascended after 40 days bodily to to the father. So I think that's the answer. I think he just went to heaven. I think that brings up a, uh, a point. Uh, we, we, we really need to be cautious in respect to speculating about those things that aren't specifically addressed in Scripture. Yeah, some of the hardest questions that I've been asked over years of pastoral ministry, and now that people are writing in, yeah. here at Back the Bible, is always around those questions where the Bible is silent. Mm-hmm. And I think it's best for us then to say, well, I think you know, reading the Bible as a whole, this would be a conclusion that we might come to, but it's important when the Bible doesn't address it that we don't have these hard and fast rules about things the Bible doesn't talk about. So it's okay to say, well, we don't know because the Bible didn't tell us. Uh, the next question I think there is uh, some biblical support for, but here's the, here's the question. It talks about uh, what is, what is the, uh, the non-believer? What happens to the non-believer at death? Yeah. In Luke 16, Jesus is very explicit. He says uh, that a man by the name of Lazarus died and a rich man died at the same time. And he says that the rich man was found in Hades or in hell, and he was crying out in anguish. And so we've got to believe that from that parable, Jesus made very explicitly clear that when an unrighteous individual dies and they're not saved by the blood of Christ, they are immediately assigned to the place of anguish. Now, we do know that in Revelation, it says, blessed and righteous are those who are a part of the second resurrection. Over them, death has no more power. So you've got to believe that there is a resurrection of the unjust and a resurrection of the just. Now remember, Ben, we've been talking about the resurrection of the body. So it would seem to me that the unrighteous are in some ways exactly like the righteous. Upon death, every single individual continues to exist. The believer in the presence of God and the unbeliever in the place of torment. Both the believer and the unbeliever await the resurrection of the body. The unbeliever are also raised bodily. They stand then before the judgment seat of Christ. They are judged by what they've done, the great white throne in Revelation. God judges them, 
and then they are assigned bodily, physically, and that's what hell is. It's a place not just of spiritual torment, it's a place of physical torment. The torments in hell for the unrighteous are physically felt. That's what makes it so horrifying. Um, so I think the same two-step process that is applied to believers is also applied to unbelievers, but with very different results. Adding to that question, uh, we, we hear this a lot. Uh, I know my, my mom and dad, when, when I was being raised, had some real feelings about this and, and feelings that seem to change over time. But what about the perspective of cremation? If there's going to be a physical uh, uh, resurrection, yeah. uh, what happens to those people that have either chosen to be cremated or yeah. perhaps those that have just been uh, killed in, in devastating ways? Yeah. Uh, in Canada here, as you know, we are having fewer and fewer burials. And I think to a large degree, it's because the cost of burial has risen so staggeringly so that people are choosing, you know, a, a cheaper option. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, I was often asked by believers, you know, what do we make of that? So uh, perhaps several things in mind. Given that, you know, there is in 1 Corinthians 15 a connection between our body as it is now and the body that's to come so that these bodies are raised. And you say, well, how can these bodies be raised if they're burnt? I mean, that's really the question behind sure. the cremation thing. And yet, I mean, you and I, Ben, we live here in the west coast of British Columbia, which is a rainforest. <laughs> so, you know, if we're buried, uh, it won't take very long for our bodies to dissolve entirely and be leached away. So I think that the answer is that God, in a miraculous fashion, is able to gather up those molecules again um, and so that we will rise bodily. So I would say that there is nothing in the Bible that forbids cremation. Um, and it does not preclude the resurrection of the body. God is able to do it. But I would like to say this as well. Um, I, I've said this to my family. Uh, when I die, I would like to be buried. And the reason for that is because it is a symbol of the hope that we have. And I recognize it's a symbol, but it's a powerful symbol that that which is planted in weakness will be raised in power, and also that Jesus was buried, that the apostles were buried, and that it has typically been the Christian way of dealing with the remains of someone who's passed away, that we bury and in the same way that a farmer places a seed in the ground, mm -hmm. awaiting for the resurrection. Having said that, I don't think it's a sin to be cremated. Yeah. Great. So we want to talk about hell a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and why perhaps Jesus talked about it so frequently? In fact, it's been said more than on one occasion that Jesus spoke about hell more than any other biblical author or biblical figure. And so, you know, when individuals sometimes speak about Jesus as more gentle than the Old Testament God, we hear that on occasion, uh, we need to remember that the Old Testament only alludes to the place of torment, whereas Jesus explicitly speaks about it, warns about it, in fact, sometimes Jesus actually uses the word Gehenna. And I know that there are some that will say, well, you know, Gehenna is not hell. It's just a, a garbage dump in, in the Valley of Hinnom, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And it's where people threw away their trash and their refuse and it was burning there constantly. But it was for Jesus an excellent symbol of what was to come. Remembering that Jesus said in his parable that the rich man was in Hades in a place of torment is the teaching of Jesus. And then also that he compared that place of torment to Gehenna, where there was perpetual fires burning. It was the, the place of uncleanness. Yeah. You know, a Jew would never go there. It was unclean. Yeah. 
and the fire was constantly burning. And Jesus said, and their worm dies not. Meaning that, you know, in this garbage dump, in the place of fire, there were worms that were living there. And Jesus likened the life to come in the fact that we're unable to die, but we're unable to leave this place of eternal torment. That's how he pictures hell. And he puts it as a very real place, which he warns us to avoid. You know, he'll say, you know, don't you call someone a fool because you'll be in danger of the fires of hell. So there are things that we can do that immediately put our soul in peril. And Jesus will constantly warn us, or I might even say it's part of Christ's motivation. You know, on the one hand, he motivates us by telling us the glories of heaven. It's kind of like the carrot before the donkey. And, and the other is he warns us about the reality of hell. It's, it's the stick behind us and says, just think of what could happen to you if you go on in an unrepentant position. So, yeah, Jesus speaks about it far more, I would say, than is heard in pulpits today. And, and Ben, yeah. might I add something? I, I know that I've spoken on hell on a number of occasions, and every time I do, I've even had you know, people that I thought were solid believers saying, I'm so offended by what you said today. I, I had one lady once say, I, I'm prepared to leave the faith because of that sermon. And yet, when I speak to individual believers and I ask them the question, when was the last time you've heard a sermon on hell? Uh, most frequent answer, Ben, you can guess, never, never. So we warn people about hellfire and brimstone preachers, but most people have never heard one in their lives. So we have quite the opposite, I think. So it's interesting that uh, contrary to popular culture, uh, we believe that hell and heaven are actually physical places. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do. So when people say like the fires of hell, that's a metaphor. And my response is, well, then, you know, the glories of heaven are only a metaphor as well. Because both of them are described physically. And the book of Revelation describes it that way. You know, it's the lake of fire that never ceases to burn. And in fact, the language that's used seems to indicate it's a fire that doesn't burn brightly, but it's a black fire. So, I mean, I can't even imagine such a horror, um, but indeed it is that kind of a horror. Now, it's interesting. You did a, a, a series on heaven, which has actually been one of the more popular series that you've ever done. And so there's this intrigue about heaven still, even though we don't teach much about heaven or hell. Uh, but if we, I was to ask you, what is the thing that you want people to go away with in knowing about heaven what might that be? Yeah, if I can just interject here and to say, I do plan in the future to preach a series on hell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think people will be shocked. <laughs> but I, I want to say that, you know, when I think about heaven, um, there are some things that people should remember. And that is the, the bodily resurrection from the dead tells us that the life to come is filled with sights and sounds and smells and tastes. I mean, it always reminded of the conversation I had with my own earthly father when he was on his deathbed. You know, he was longing for God, and he said, although I have these moments when I just wish I could take one more trip to the mountains and just climb again, just one more time. And I said, Dad, you've forgotten your lessons. <laughs> I'm, I'm lecturing my dad on his deathbed and said, Dad, you're going to go to the mountains. So the, the physicality of heaven is, and uh, the fact that we will do all things to the glory of God, that, that we learn in heaven, we don't know everything, only God knows everything, that we create, we're productive in heaven, 
we learn to rule and reign with Christ over all the works of his hands, whatever that means. So I think we'll be able to use our own creativity in doing the work of God. So I think of heaven as this productive place where we continue to grow and learn and become more faithful for eternity. Amen. You know, it's been a real insightful time together, John. Thank you so much for sharing with us and answering some of these important, important questions about heaven and hell. And uh, we look forward to next week, and next week we'll be talking about the Bible. In essence, what should we believe about the Bible? How is the Bible integral to who we are as God's uh, people? And so thank you again, and join us next week for more of uh, Truth and Life Today. We hope you're enjoying the new Truth and Life Today show with Dr. John Newfeld. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode each week. But we want you to be involved in the show. To submit your own personal questions to Dr. John, you can email us at info at backtothebible.ca or find us on Facebook by searching Truth and Life Today.